Ugh, Harley, why don't you just leave him? He's not good for you. Why am I talking to a cartoon character? Why are we doing a cartoon show for toxic relationships? Why in the 90s were they doing toxic relationships on a kid's cartoon show? Well, anyway, Batman the Animated Series are the new adventures of Batman, Mad Love. It's in the basket. Writer's bagel basket. Naughty, naughty! Jump around like that and doctor won't give you a lollipop! You little good doesn't look good at all. I'm afraid everything will have to go. <laughs> Tear me apart, Lisa! Snap out of it! You owe me 15 grand, pal. I love you! That's all I needed to hear. I'm so excited! I'm so excited! Don't be mean. We don't have to be mean. Remember, no matter where you go, there you are. Hi, welcome to Writer's Bagel Basket. I am Scott Kerland, and we're doing the series finale, is what they're claiming this is. We're doing Mad Love, written by Paul Dini. And my guest is a return guest. It's Tony from Flix X-Raid. Hey, how's it going? It's going. <laughs> so, uh... I remember when I asked if you want to do this, you're like, sure. Wait, I can't find it. <laughs> <laughs> it's because yeah, they changed the name. Yeah, it was super weird. You're like, it's Batman the uh, an um, Animated Adventures. I'm like, I have that, but I don't remember this episode in specific, and I went looking for it, and I couldn't find it. And luckily enough, my buddy had a – we share a server with all of our – down. Uh, like, we rip all our DVDs, and we – put them on uh, servers and we share them with each other and he had it and i was like oh it's a different complete thing i think it took me like two hours to find I'm which was sorry. bizarre <laughs> yeah it's all good <laughs> and uh, then i've watched that episode five times since so just that episode it, so that episode why don't you give us the tv guide rule what would tv guide say the description of that episode would be oh fuck um yeah the tv guide would say oh fuck <laughs> yeah exactly that it'd be like oh 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 uh this is a st episode about villain love ish good Cause... that's good yeah that's because <laughs> that's that's the best thing i can think of for it because it's just like it's villain love um actually me and my partner were talking about it afterwards we're like you know she, she's a writer and she was like, I really want to write a series where like there's a, two villains and they're in a very healthy relationship, not like this, you know, because it's just like we always see villains in TV and movies who are portrayed as having toxic relationships, which makes sense because they're villains. We're not supposed to like romanticize them. They um, did that, though. <laughs> they did that. I hate the people. Anyone who Har like Harley Quinn show, the Harley Quinn show, her and Ivy have a very healthy relationship. Yes. I, I've heard that. Uh, it's been on my list to watch. I just haven't gotten around to watching it yet, but I've heard like it's apparently super healthy. And I'm like, yay, because both of them need that. <laughs> right. I would also say that this episode should be called Who's Afraid of Virginia Batman? <laughs> <laughs> because like their relationship. So if anyone isn't familiar with the basically the Paul Dini created Batman, it's what kind of has set the tone for Batman 
since 1993. Like, mm. anything that is Batman now comes from Paul Dini's run, pretty much. Uh, especially the creation of Harley Quinn. He created Harley Quinn to be basically a one-off character, but then they loved her so much that they kept bringing her back, and she became, you know, Mr. To the point where there's a movie. Yeah. Birds of Prey. Yeah. Like, which is interesting could you imagine being like that that writer and be like i made this one-off character and now she's got her own fucking feature film well he doesn't care because he gets all of the the creation <laughs> rights so he's like loaded also do you know anything about paul dini <laughs> like he had on like, me teach me he had the saddest life like he was a cartoon writer um and screenwriter for like the longest time and then when he was like I guess in his like early 40s he decided he wanted to finally get married and he realized he was alone after he went on a f- first date with a woman who would eventually be his wife but on his way home he got the shit beaten out of him and he realized how lonely he was because he had no one to call to to tell that he was in an accident oh fuck yeah That's brutal and that is all on the screen in this episode <laughs> No kidding. That like breaks my heart a little bit. It's like, the saddest that, thing. It's so fucking uh, sad. It's like whenever I hear the Keanu Reeves thing, like his his story, I'm like, oh my god, how is this man such a beacon of light? We, we've talked about Keanu. Keanu Reeves is one of my favorite actors, but we've talked about that so many times on this podcast. Like, right? What these talented people go through? Because with Keanu, if you look at it, he lost his best friend in the world in 1993, who was River mm-hmm. Phoenix. Then his fiance lost their child then mm-hmm. she left him and then died yeah like it and is... didn't his sister die of cancer in the same like year or something i can't remember a hundred percent but he lost she, a she died during matrix i think or because i know he was using his matrix money to pay for her her surgery and her chemo but right like, but that that was still 99 so that's pretty in a close range because yeah i I thought it was the second matrix movie because that's where he made all of his money his matrix dollars (laughs) but yeah so like paul dini has had this you know really great outlook on life but this horrible thing happened to him and i guess from like tragedy comes art and that's where we get the relationship of you know harley and mr j right and the their dynamic is so fucked um like there's no better way to put it it's just like the way that he treats her and her like obsession with him in this it's just like and it being the serious finale too or the supposed but i think it actually is because like everything i've seen is that was the series finale it's like what way to go out on like the worst fucking note ever yeah i think that's why they did stuff out of order and this was the second to last episode and the actual last episode is uh those kids telling the story of how they saw batman once and it's like batman through the years so they do like the 1950s cartoon style batman and then like the frank miller batman and then there's this one kid who's like i think batman wears lots of leather and like i like his nipples and they're like cut it out joel (laughs) (laughs) 
Oh god, I remember that one. Yeah, I haven't watched that one recently. Like, I just specifically went and watched Mad Love because uh, we were going to be talking about it. But yeah, it's. I think it's so heavy. It's so heavy. There's no way you could have put it anywhere else in the series. Yeah, Mad Love is by far the best episode in the series, in my opinion. Um, but also, like when you think of some of the things that they say in this episode, like she basically is asking him to plow her. Like, <laughs> yeah. Want to ride your Harley? <laughs> yeah, want to rev up your Harley? Like that's a rev up your Harley. Because <laughs> I re- I remember watching this as a kid, and uh, my mom like overhears that, and she's like, "What are you watching?" And my dad goes, "He's watching Batman," and then he just winked at me. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, "Okay, they're talking about motorcycles. What are you talking about?" It's <laughs> like, "What the hell is going on?" Thanks, I'm nine. <laughs> Uh, you know what the best thing is as an adult watching any animated thing and there's those adult jokes that are just slid in there that you're like kids aren't gonna catch that oh yeah like like tiny tunes and like animaniacs animaniacs like the prince joke that they did right yeah no kid's gonna get that they're gonna be like okay yeah like they're talking about fingerprints like how could that be dirty like <laughs> yeah you're like Oh, she just misheard him. He's a prince and he has fingers. That makes sense. Yeah. And you're like, later on, it's like, oh, <laughs> as an adult. A lot of shows did that. Like, rewatching, like, Rugrats and when Dee Dee comes down and Stu is making chocolate pudding at, like, three in the morning. And she's like, why are you doing that? And he's like, because I've lost my way in life. And, <laughs> and as an adult, you're like, oh, relatable. I've been there. It's like... <laughs> Wait a minute, you're not in quarantine. Oh. <laughs> uh, I mean, how but, do you how do you feel about Batman the animated series? Oh, I'm you know what? I loved it. I had a bunch of it on VHS growing up. Uh like just, you know, how they used to release those. Here's four episodes on a VHS. And yeah, it's like, I, had I had the Robin s- one. Yeah, um I had a bunch of them and then they had that special movie that came along with it that I can't remember the name of right now off the top of my head. Mask of the Phantasm or That's it, Mask of the okay. Phantasm. I had that one as well. Oh, that's right. You're in Canada. That was released in theaters here. Yeah, it wasn't here. <laughs> yeah. That went direct to video, you know, everywhere, everywhere else. else. So that was released in theaters here. No one saw it except for me. <laughs> I went to like so there's this theater in Massachusetts near Boston. It's called the Arlington Capitol. And they would get like all of these, like, I don't want to say weird animated movies, but they would get like obscure. So I saw Batman Mask of the Phantasm there. I saw Princess Mononoke there. I saw, oh. I saw all of these great animated movies there. Uh, no, that, that we do have a theater that's similar to that, but it's it doesn't get all the stuff. And I didn't find out about it until I was in like my late teens. Yeah. Um, because it's like in a weird area of town, the artsy area of town. Uh, there's this one theater that used to exist and no longer exists because reasons. <sighs> Neo Nazis. Um, anyway. Oh Jesus Christ! <laughs> yeah, the owner turned out to be a neo Nazi. Um, but yeah, in the, like, I would have loved to have watched that in theaters. And I, growing up, I loved the animated Batman series and the Justice League series. Like, uh, both of those, the writing in that were amazing. I'm not a when it came to comic books growing up, I was a Marvel kid. Yeah. Um, not a big DC guy. Uh, Same here. But like the one thing that DC has always done well is their TV shows. 
they're animated TV shows uh, in particular because it's like actually even then their norm their TV uh, shows that they've been doing for CW are actually pretty good like The Flash and Arrow. Um, I always found that their stories lent better to television than Marvel kind of did. Um, well, until now. <laughs> yeah, now, now that it's got Disney money. Yeah, now with that those Disney dollars, we get WandaVision and you know we get Winter Soldier and Loki. So now we're yeah. Now we're, didn't Winter Soldier just drop yesterday or something? I don't know. I'm I not. I, I thought it came out either t- today. Maybe it is next week. Um, I was just going through news articles this morning, and I thought someone uh, had posted about you know a review of it. But it could even even easily be an early reviewer. If it's a review, they usually send those out to critics in advance. But yeah. So yeah. Um. But for me, Batman has always been Kevin Conroy. It's either Kevin Conroy or Michael Keaton. Those are my Batman. Michael Keaton, for me, always has been. Um, but movie guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, I'm a movie guy too. But <laughs> I know, I know. I'm just saying. Uh, I do love the animated series, though. Like I was saying, it's just it was way ahead of its time in a weird way. Yeah. Well, with Michael Keaton, it's always been Michael Keaton. But then, like, someone's like, "Well, Kevin Conroy is my Batman." I'm like, "You can do that." <laughs> <laughs> you can choose a voice actor what <laughs> wait so no one's gonna kick my ass if i say tim daly for uh <laughs> superman <laughs> or am i more of a george newburn guy oh <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, don't get me started on superman i hate him <laughs> worst superhero ever so i've always liked the obscure superheroes like for my favorite Marvel characters ever since I was like little it's been Doctor Strange Scarlet Witch Vision and uh, uh, Bruce Banner and uh, Black Panther and then for DC it was always the obscure ones like everyone's like Superman Batman to a lesser extent Green Lantern I'm like what about the Flash and they're like fucking nerd oh I grew up loving the Flash I've always loved the Flash Oh, so good. Um, and for me, I my favorite series of all has always been X-Men yeah. and uh, some of the branches off of that. So it's like whenever people are like, what's your favorite X-Men character? I'm like, well, I really love Nightcrawler. He's one of my favorites. And everyone's like, really? And I'm like, yeah, Nightcrawler or uh, Wolfsbane. Yeah. Like super that kind of stuff, right? And uh, Or Surge when she came out in 2002. Uh, with New Mutants when they did the new New Mutants and they had mm-hmm. Surge, Elixir, and Hellion and I love those characters. Um, and uh, I think Dust was another one that came out at that time who was a really cool character. But it, it's definitely one of those things where it's like Batman is, everyone's like, oh, I, you, everyone has a Batman favorite, right? And it's just like, I really wish that there was a lot, uh, he, Batman didn't get quite as many reboots. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, just stop, stop, stop. He's been done to death. Pick someone else. That that's why I am kind of in shock that they keep like redoing uh, John Constantine in so many different ways. Like we've had Keanu, mm-hmm. we've had Matt Ryan. Now we're gonna get another one. Taron Edgerton is the audiobook version. Like, when did this happen? <laughs> I didn't know this was a thing. When did he become popular? Do people even realize who he is? Yeah. He talks to ghosts. <laughs> that's his 
that's his whole bit. Like that's all he's got is he talks to ghosts and is a part of a secret order. Yeah, he he's he's basically like Haley Joel Osment from The Sixth Sense as a, <laughs> as an adult. As an adult, <laughs> which I think that's why they made fun of. That's why Haley Joel Osment played that very similar character on The Boys. Oh yeah, I guess he did, didn't he? That was him. I was shit. I think that was to make fun of. I see dead people. That makes so much sense. I love the boys. That was that yeah. show's so good. <laughs> but but with this, so in this episode, like for kids, I think this is a brilliant way to teach about toxic relationships. Because mm-hmm. like a lot of kids don't realize that if you're in an abusive relationship, you don't need to be. You don't need to be suffering. Like, yeah. And I feel like this episode handled that topic beautifully and then it did stick the landing because there are a lot of people who are like, I'm never going to do that again. And then the person does something sweet and they're like, oh, I, they've changed. They've changed. Obviously, they've changed. Just because they beat me like eight times in the past doesn't mean that they've changed for sure this time. So that's why I thought it was very like shocking that Warner Brothers allowed for children's entertainment for that ending to get away, like to mm-hmm. actually air because in the past they're like, no, you need to have a happy ending. She needs to like stand up for herself. I'm so shocked that standards and practices allowed that to go on air. Yeah. But you know, like television also, you say everyone wants a happy ending. You know, we know that television romanticizes toxic relationships you know like let's look at friends for example ross and rachel is like the most toxic anytime either one of them's trying to move on they do shit uh there's the whole thing where they accidentally get married in vegas while they're super drunk and then ross tells rachel like oh i've got it annulled but he didn't actually and like there's so much cringe throughout that entire series or even uh how i met your mother uh ted and robin are it's just gross when yeah. you really like break it down, like these characters are gross, but we romanticize those. But it's weird in those shows. You get healthy relationships like Chandler and Monica, and and uh, oh my god, I can't uh, Marshall and Lily. Like they Marshall have, and Lily's not uh, not healthy either. If you really break it down, uh, Marshall they, is romanticized, but he's kind of he's still toxic. Different kind of toxic, but not. Yeah. Well, now that I think about it, thanks for breaking that. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, my wife's a psychology major. Uh, <laughs> we've been deep dives about characters and development and stuff and about what they actually go through. Uh, and what but Chandler, per- Chandler and Monica, they're, they're okay, right? <laughs> uh, yes. Yes. Yes, they are. <laughs> Why are you shifting your eyes? <laughs> <laughs> no, honestly, the, the, the health... So if you're talking about, like, for a healthy relationship, technically Barney and Robin do have a healthy relationship because they realize when it's bad, they get out. Yeah, they both know it's bad and they leave, which is very healthy. Which we were talking before we started recording that, you know, Harley Quinn. So there's a reason why I picked this episode. I picked Batman the Animated Series and not the Harley Quinn show, even though Alan Tudyk does like he's up there for voice acting for best joker like him and mark hamill are like tied like well it's alan titic pretty... alan Tiddick's amazing have you heard him he... in a moana <laughs> so he plays like three or four characters on the harley quinn show you said you haven't seen it no 
So he plays he plays Clayface, but Clayface is like a Ian McKellen, Patrick Stewart, Shakespearean actor. What? <laughs> I love it's it. fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> and and um but he also plays the Joker. So the reason why I didn't pick that is because yes, he's super toxic, but she gets out of that relationship and the whole like season, first season and then second season is all about like you know, not going back, not doing that again. But I was so tempted to pick that because Alan Tudyk as the Joker is fantastic. There's a scene where he's finally kidnapped Batman and has him tied up and he's just poking him and um they do a callback to this episode. They do a callback to uh, uh, Mad Love where she kidnaps him, but it's actually Scarecrow is the Harley Quinn role in in, in this role, in uh, the Harley Quinn show. And basically it's like, no, what? Mr. J, why don't we just find out who he is and takes the mask off and he gets so pissed off knowing that it's Bruce Wayne that he kills Scarecrow. And then like he switches on a dime and he goes... Wayne Tech promised an electric car by this year. I put a deposit down. Where's my goddamn electric car, Bruce? <laughs> <laughs> and and like the way Alan Tudyk does it is like it's like doing an impression of Mark Hamill, but it's a little better at times. Where Mark Hamill, you know, is Mark he Hamill. Always, he's Mark Hamill, and in this, like. He does make he does make a Star Wars reference. May the floss be with you. <laughs> yeah, which I love. When I when I heard that, uh, watch, rewatching it for the first time, and because uh, when I watched uh, the animated series the first time years ago, I didn't even realize that Mark Hamill was the voice of the Joker. And now rewatching it, and I was like, when I heard that line, I was like cackling, and I had to like pause it and go back and <laughs> listen to it again. In Siskel and Ebert's review of. Uh, Batman Mask of the Phantasm, they're talking about like how great the movie is and it's the best Batman adaptation. But then they say, but I was so annoyed by who the, whoever the, the Joker was. And Roger Ebert cuts off Gene Siskel and he's like, that's Mark Hamill and he does a pretty good job. <laughs> like, <laughs> but for a lot of people, Harley Quinn gets to always be the best Harley Quinn, always gets to be Arlene Quinn or Arlene... Quinlan? How Quinzel. Whoever No, no, the actress who plays her. Her name is Arlene. Oh. Eileen. I gotta look it up. <laughs> God damn it. Um IMDB. Yeah. So uh she is the um ultimate Harley Quinn, and she always gets to be the ultimate Harley Quinn because she created the character. Mm. And they've actually made homage to it in the new um, Harley Quinn show. What? Arlene Sorkin is who plays her. No relation to Aaron Sorkin. Um, but she gets to be the ultimate Harley Quinn because she created the voice and she did it. Mm-hmm. And so many people have based their performances, you know, Margot Robbie, Tara Strong, after her. So to get to see her backstory and for it to be the backstory that ends the entire series is just amazing. Yeah, considering it's also a character who was solely created for this show to like end it on her being the final backstory. 
was also really good because everyone knows Batman's backstory. Everyone kind of knows the Joker's backstories or variants of it because there's so many versions. Um, but like to actually, you know, get hers was awesome. Yeah, and the crazy thing is the fact that like you find out in this episode that she was a a psychiatrist. She was actually his psychiatrist. Yeah, no one knew that. No one knew that up until this moment. Mm Mm-hmm. And like it's now such a canon story that I think it's one of the um, backstories that doesn't change. You know, like a lot of characters, like we see the backstories change and change and change and change and change. But, like, that one doesn't. And to the point where it's, like, even um, at the end of the Joker movie, the psychiatrist he's talking to, if you read him, tag, it's uh, Harley uh, Quinzel. It, Is it? Yeah. Oh, that's weird. I didn't notice that. Yeah, I'm pretty sure she's on her name badge. But they don't say her name or anything. It's just, like, kind of a nod. <laughs> at the very end, right? Yeah. Okay. Not not the social worker. Not the social right? worker. Okay. All right. Yeah, at the very very end, in that like final scene, uh, where he's like, you know, in in the ha- uh, madhouse, and he like escapes and does all this shit. But like, yeah, it's it's one of those stories where it's like whenever anyone talks about the backstories of, you know, characters, a lot of these old characters who've been in so many runs over the years, like have so many different variants of backstories where it's like little ticks here and there change things and people are always trying to redo the backstories um or the origin stories of these characters of shit Uh, but like i always find hers is the one that stays the most constant and maybe it's just because she was only invented in the 90s which that was only five years ago right but uh (laughs) (laughs) well okay so the thing that i want to say about that is back when they announced that like Margot Robbie was going to play Harley Quinn and I'm like that's perfect casting but then when they said that there was going to be before Jared Leto was cast as the Joker in that world they said they were going to try and set it up as a trilogy so she was going to before they did Birds of Prey it was going to be Suicide Squad then Gotham City Sirens and then a third one featuring her in the Joker Mm -hmm. and everyone's like they're gonna do mad love they're gonna and then suicide squad came out and they destroyed that but (laughs) um, well suicide squad was interesting because like uh you know i remember it's one of the movies that because the original didn't test well with the screening audiences they pushed its release date by another six months and reshot it all um cutting out so much shit that it's like i know that they changed the story almost entirely to the point where some of it doesn't even make sense Oh, you mean like all of it? Yeah. <laughs> so so basically before Jared Leto was cast, they're like, oh, they're going to totally do Mad Love. And I would love for like a very complex director, like maybe like Chloe Zhao or or Catherine Bigelow, someone who can handle oh, yeah, a story Catherine like Bigelow. this. That would be a good one. Yeah, so, so someone who could handle a very, like, toxic relationship story. Even, like, Ryan Fleck and Anna Bowden. Mm-hmm. Like, everyone gives them shit for Captain Marvel, which I actually like Captain Marvel. Me too. Yay. <laughs> yeah, so, like, they they have done movies about toxic relationships. They've also done movies set in a mental institution. So, 
so if they were to do that, I was like, oh, they're going to cast like a British actor. They, they're they going to get like Benedict Cumberbatch. And then they announced him as Doctor Strange. Um, but like if they had done like a well-known, say, I'm trying to, now I'm drawing a blank of like who they could have gone with. I mean, Adrian Brody's too old and too difficult to work with. Mm-hmm. Ed Norton's too old and too difficult to work with. <laughs> um, I'm noticing a theme here. <laughs> Leo DiCaprio but, but they, is too old and difficult to work with. Oh fuck. <laughs> well, or if they they did go with like an older Joker, like Willem Dafoe as the Joker. Oh, I've always wanted to see him pull the Joker off because like he oh the faces he can make. It's just like he would be so good as the Joker. Did you see the deep fake that they did where it was him? They basically, for one of, it was either Vanity Fair or Variety, they did, like, actors on their imperfections. And he was talking about the gap in his teeth. And someone took that monologue, which is a very creepy monologue that he did. He he wrote, like, a three-page essay on his teeth. So they took that video that he made, and they put in a deepfake of him with Joker makeup on. And it is creepy, and it is fantastic. I've seen that. That's why, like... The second you said that, it came to my mind. I'm like, oh my god, he would be amazing as an older Joker, you know. And we know he has the acting chops to play a villain in a superhero movie because in Spider Man he was Green Goblin and he nailed that. Yeah, and then they tried to uh, retcon uh, that uh, with putting him in Aquaman, but <laughs> oh yeah, that was that existed. I was super excited for Aquaman because he's also one of my favorite DC characters who no one gives a lot of love to, but like. <laughs> so i tried making a joke when aquaman came out i said oh it's a great movie however it's basically like what if in black panther what if killmonger won (laughs) and and someone when i made that joke when i tweeted that out someone's like uh actually it was supposed to be blah 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 oh yes he's the chosen one and i'm like oh well you know i was joking right and they're like no Oh, the internet. It's full of awesome people. Yeah. Everyone is so understanding on the internet. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Like, but, <laughs> uh, but in, sorry, go. But in, oh, I was going to say, but in this episode, getting back to the episode, in 20 minutes, they pull off basically, if they made this a live action short film, this would be like an Oscar nominated short film. If they, oh my made, God, it'd be amazing. Like, this is all the beats of a film. It has all the film beats. And then I, like, went back and I watched the first episode of Batman the Animated Series, which is Man Bat. Like, that is the pilot. Man Bat is the pilot of Batman, and I had no idea. But that is another cinematic story. Mm -hmm. A lot of the animated series works like that. In 20 minutes, they're able to tell these massive stories in 20 minutes, and you're like, how is that 20 minutes? Because it just... It goes by so fast, and the fact that, like, I would say this entire episode doesn't really give Kevin Conroy a ton to do, but, like, all three voice performances are so, like, different, but also perfect, because, I don't know if you noticed, there are only, like, besides the three main characters, besides Harley, besides the Joker, besides Batman, there's only, like, one or two additional other voices. people who talk 
Yeah. Jim Gordon and I think Harvey Bullock has a line or that news anchor who's like, the Joker escaped. Um, Which is probably just a clip from another one. <laughs> that they got yeah. In there. So basically to have this basically felt like uh, an independent film because you have three main characters. That's you have like the indie film budget where, oh, we can either like get a lot of actors actors and create a bunch of characters or we can use our budget create three characters and get like big names <laughs> and that's what this felt like because mm-hmm. the voice acting for arlene sorkin and mark hamill is just so tremendous for them to change voices in the same character and have it be flawless like the understanding side of the joker when he's pretending to be the doctor at the beginning or when you think she's talking to her own therapist and it turns out to be the the Joker is in the the therapist chair and she's on the couch. Mm-hmm. Like that is incredible voice acting on Mark Hamill's part. Well, and even the way that she switches between uh, her original voice as like the therapist to her voice as Harley is a change. You know, like we watch yeah. her devolve through this episode. Um, you know, and she starts off being very smart and sympathetic, and going from that to being like wild and crazy. Yeah, and then on top of that, you also have Kevin Conroy laughing for the first time as Batman. Which, in the entire series, you never hear him laugh as Batman. You, you'll you hear him do a chuckle as Bruce Wayne. But that's like the whole, when Christian Bale or Michael Keaton does it as Bruce Wayne. It doesn't count. Yeah. Batman doesn't yeah, laugh. He's... He doesn't have a sense of humor. But in this, he, he laughed. And it was it was almost weird. It, it felt like creepily out of character. Uh, which I think is interesting because in this, Batman is also portrayed as the villain of this story. Yeah. You know, so it's like, you know, even though we know Joker is the true villain of the story, in Harley's eyes, and this is from her point of view, Batman is the villain. Uh, you know, she's the he's the one who's, like, hurting her love and, like, all this kind of stuff. And so he's the villain. So to hear him laugh, it's almost like a weird personification of the Joker and how the Joker would right. handle that situation. You know what I mean? Like, it's such a weird twist. And talking about making Harley Quinn stuff canon, to this day, I believe that the only character who has ever been close to killing Batman is Harley Quinn. Yeah. Even even when Bane broke his back, he still, when he was about to do the death blow, like, either Robin came in and saved the day, or... Batman with his remaining strength pulled out one of those tube things but Harley Quinn is the only one who's ever been able to almost kill Batman mm-hmm. and the only reason she didn't was because the Joker stopped her which I also think is interesting you know like because yeah. like you said Robin normally comes in and saves him or Batman figures out a way but in this case Batman is saved by his enemy who wants to kill him but wants to do it himself right and as you said before, if you have to explain the joke, it's not funny. Mm-hmm. But she was right. Like, if he wanted a death of a thousand smiles, you have to have the person upside down. Also, all the blood going to the head discombobulates them and makes them disoriented. That's just science. <laughs> yes, and she's a scientist. Yes. And, but. Although a lot of The other thing that was also so. <laughs> kind of because <laughs> she's a doctor she's a doctor because even like uh mr freeze is a doctor and uh poison yeah. ivy's a doctor as well because she's a got a doctorate in biology 
Yeah, she's a biology biologist, a biologist and a boss. Yes, and she's got doctorates in both of those. Yeah. So, I mean, if you if you add it up, it's kind of like the Joker in comparison to all of these people because Victor Freeze is a doctor, uh, Jonathan Crane Mm -hmm. is a doctor, or Scarecrow's a doctor, Mad Hatter's a doctor. Yeah. So is um uh the Riddler. I can't remember his real name. He's a doctor too, isn't? The, oh, Edward. Nima. Edward Nigma. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, he's a doctor too. Or now in the new Fifty Two, Edward Nashton. Um, don't know how that makes. Lame. Uh, don't get me started. <laughs> yeah, um, and I believe Harvey Dent does have a doctorate in law. Yeah, I think so too. So all yeah, I'm getting so, here is so, when people become highly educated, they realize that there's a problem with the system. <laughs> <laughs> what was i I, so i basically was reading a meme that um that made batman look like the villain because or especially for batman and robin because all what all uh pamela isley wanted to do was basically pull off a green act and, and protect plants and protect you know nature and all victor freeze wanted to do is he didn't want to you know he did end up robin banks but he was doing it to save his wife and create a cure for this disease that is a real disease yeah. so so by that scope batman's kind of the bad guy well it's like a lot of people pointed out nowadays too it's like uh <laughs> i've seen this meme or this little comic go around a lot and it's like batman's just like i'm gonna make this city better and it's like oh are you gonna spend your millions of dollars in public health care and you know helping clean up the streets by getting rid of poverty and he's like no i'm gonna go punch people (laughs) yeah that's the other thing so in this episode i mean like in all of (laughs) all of batman the animated series we've talked about it being like a very cinematic Mm -hmm. series but in this one, I was very shocked that they literally show a, you know, female character, or in this episode, a female protagonist get kicked out of a building. Oh, right. She gets kicked out of a window. She gets beaten around. And, oh, yeah. Like, I'm shocked that this, pa- as I said before, standards and practices, like, the impression that this left on children was either good or bad because they're there are going to be people who are like, why is she with him? And then there's going to be people who don't know what to think. And as a kid, I remember thinking she shouldn't be with him. And then I was watching it with a friend and they're like, well, but what? And I'm like, it's okay. Let's go get a Capri Sun and some you. (laughs) Like, (laughs) I'll explain everything over a drink. You want a you or a Capri Sun? (laughs) You're going to need a stiff one. I want that Capri Sun. (laughs) (laughs) i'll cut i'll cut the edge off and pour it into a glass (laughs) you don't need to deal with trying to poke it through a hole it's just bullshit right now yeah you've got bigger problems right now (laughs) being eight years old watching you know the joker beat up his girlfriend (laughs) then you have a spelling bee on friday (laughs) i don't know why i'm the father figure (laughs) Because you're nine, he's eight. Well, I'm nine, and you're so eight. So I'm, I'm more worldly. <laughs> I've traveled the world. I've walked all of Epcot. <laughs> Seen all the countries. I know how things go. It's time for me to explain to you the birds and the bees. 
Whoever thought of calling sex education the birds and the bees? Doesn't actually understand sex. Because yeah. neither of those have sex. <laughs> you see, the way it works is the bee kills the bird and lays its eggs, but doesn't that... I didn't think bees laid eggs, and once they sting, de- don't, 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 don't think about it. The more you think, it's going to mess with you. <laughs> but in in this episode, like, we, so we have the abuse. We also have the sexual undertones. And then on top of that, we have master manipulation mm-hmm. from Batman and from the Joker like if you look at it from the spectrum of this poor woman is being taken advantage of to the point where she doesn't even know who to trust and the and she should be trusting herself but she doesn't well that's the thing you know gaslighting is such a problem um that it's like first off these kind of relationships have been romanticized for years right um and on top of that one of the biggest things that people who are those kind of manipulators do is they isolate you know, they'll cut off ties from friends and families and they'll they'll convince these they'll convince the person who they're manipulating or gaslighting uh, that those people shouldn't be trusted. You know, and then th- those people are like, yeah. well, you shouldn't trust this person. And they're like, well, I trust they say you I shouldn't trust you. So, you know, and then they have to pick who to trust. Um, right. And, you know, usually that doesn't go and, well. And the right thing to do in a situation like that is basically sometimes to be a good friend you either have to say listen you're gonna make the mistakes you're gonna make and i'll be right here for you but i gotta walk away from the situation and when you're ready come talk to oh me. yeah i've got a, a friend like that um someone who essentially was one of my best friends and he's with someone now and i'm like oh crap <laughs> <laughs> we've all been yeah. there ah crap um in fact i I'm, was talking to you earlier uh, one of the guys I live with, uh, I lost contact with him for a couple of years because of a relationship, and we had to midnight move him. If you know what that means. Jeez. Yeah. Like, I've done so many midnight moves over my life, but it's just like, you know, people get in toxic relationships, and people, we learn yeah. toxic traits more often than we t- learn good traits. It's in so much television and stuff, and I think you know, seeing the story of Harley Quinn so early. And I, I think, you know, you keep going, I can't believe this got past censors. But at the same time, I almost wonder if it had the luck of being, because it was its season finale or series finale, or maybe that's why they pushed it to the series finale, was because of the fact the censors were like, no. And then they were like, yeah, we're done. Fuck it. <laughs> Put it up. <laughs> well, okay. So that's the thing, because now a show like that would get passed in a heartbeat to teach children about this thing. Yeah. Back then, I was so shocked because, like, it's like, oh, you can't do that. You can't do this. Like, you know, if anyone has been watching the 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 HBO documentary series on Mia Farrow, like, it's not good. <laughs> I've not been watching That's that, the- so I have not a clue. Don't have HBO. I haven't either, but but my wife has, and then she tells me in detail. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. Yeah, he was a monster. Uh, and it's just this this coming out in the first place. And he, like I said earlier about, I think the entire Batman the animated series was well above, ahead of its time. Like, and the thing yeah. and the boundaries that they pushed were just insane. 
That's why, like, when Batman the Animated, not Batman the Animated Series, Batman Beyond came out, and they started to try and go in a darker tone, they're like, yeah, but what if we made a guy who's made of, like, green rock? And it's like, really? Yeah. Batman Beyond, I, I was actually just thinking about Batman Beyond when I was uh, we were talking about this earlier, and I was thinking, like, Batman Beyond started off being really dark and then just got silly. Yeah, and then, like, they ended up having to retcon it, so... Batman, uh, Terry McGinnis turned out to be Bruce Wayne's son. Like, that's just bullshit. Right? <laughs> yeah. But in, in this episode, so on top of everything, I do love that the episode opens up with... My, so my favorite character in all of the DC universe is Jim Gordon. <laughs> I love Commissioner Gordon because specifically in year one and all of like the prequel stuff of young Jim Gordon, he basically had all of the tools to be a superhero, but he chose instead of being a vigilante to fight crime through protocol and procedure. And I always, you know, guess someone who was a stickler for the rules. I always appreciated that. And I was like, that's that. kind of why I liked, but Gotham, then in this, to be honest, when that was on yeah. the first couple seasons of Gotham were like that. And I really loved that. Yeah, I liked the first season of Gotham, and then by season two, I'm like, okay, they're, it's weird now. <laughs> they're like, we're not going to introduce the Joker, and then they're like, hey, we have these twins. <laughs> not saying they're the Joker. But they might be. Okay. The- Wink. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so like, I, I do love that this episode starts with Jim Gordon, and and he's he kind of gets to be funny in this. Yeah. We've- Sassy. Yeah. I, uh, man, I really hate these physicals. <laughs> we see a different side yeah. of Jim. Because I mean, the to- only times we ever see Jim in the animated series is when he's delivering bad news to Batman. <laughs> so one of my other favorite episodes of the animated series, which I contemplated doing on a toxic relationship, was the episode where um, Jim Gordon is hunting Batman. It's from this mm-hmm. season, from the, the final season. And you find out he's hunting Batman because uh, Barbara Gordon is thrown off a building and killed. And when he goes to basically pick up uh, Batgirl, her mask falls off and it's Barbara. And he basically finds out Bruce Wayne is Batman and he starts hunting him down. And it's a very so it goes from being like a great relationship that he had with his daughter to a very toxic one because he idolizes her, puts her on a pedestal because she's dead now, and then also his relationship with Bruce Wayne Batman becomes so toxic because he blames him for everything and then it turns out to be just a dream and that's why I didn't pick that uh, episode. That dream that that I remember that one and the it was all a dream ending I fucking hate so much. <laughs> what what if it was just her looking at a snow globe? <laughs> uh. <laughs> you like saying elsewhere? <laughs> but uh yeah, so it, that's why this episode cuz it doesn't shy away. Also, um it it pays tribute this episode pays tribute to the five stages of grief, mm-hmm. but it does it out of order. It actually starts at anger goes to bargaining um goes to depression goes to acceptance and then ends on denial <laughs> because 
because she accepts how awful the Joker is, and then she's like, ah, he's a sweetie pie. Like, Well, it doesn't exactly do that. Uh, well, it does that, but it's like, it actually is repeating the cycle because it starts on denial. At the very, very beginning, it starts at denial and then goes through and then it goes back to denial, which it's kind of one of those things where it's like, if you've ever dealt with anyone who uh, is actually dealt with grief, sometimes they'll do that. It'll cycle a couple times, even like going through acceptance to back to denial and then continue going. Um, You know, I've seen it so many times. Yeah, it, it, it's a thing. And, you know, sometimes, uh, especially when people don't have, like, proper counseling and stuff like that uh, or aren't able to properly, like, don't have enough tools in their emotional toolkit to actually process uh, emotions, you will see people go through those cycles. It's why um, more often than not you see people talk good of people who died, right? Um, you, you see it all the time, right down to, like, Michael Jackson. Uh, you know, like... And right. posthumously, everyone is like, you know, he was such a talented artist and he had such a hard life and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, no one wants to talk about like all the other garbage that was his life. You know, it's like, right. oh, he's dead. Let's not speak ill of the dead. But it's like, you know, one of those things where that's that's almost society culturally going back to denial. <laughs> uh, you know, and it's just like one of those things where if when especially when it comes to toxic relationships and like we're talking like the severely toxic even down to the minorly toxic there is that cycle of denial anger uh i forgot the middle one uh depression so so denial uh anger depression bargaining acceptance right i thought bargaining was denial bargaining yeah, um, would all all I, all I remember is I was in a a play in college where I played a character who was uh, dying of AIDS, um, and my character, you don't know that I'm sick or dying because in the play you think my sister is sick and dying of a made up disease which is supposed to be an allegory, and throughout the the play she's supposed to go through all of these stages. But when you, the whole goal is to go back and see the play again, and you actually see that my character is the one who's going through those stages, not mm-hmm. her. So I had to to play that role and do it very subtly for doing all of those things. And I can tell you that having gone through that in real life, being in like really bad situations, is much worse <laughs> it's one thing to see it on tv or in a play it's another thing to experience it yeah yeah because like when people go through whether it is the loss of a family member or being in a, a very bad unsafe situation you know it i mean it's hard to talk about and it's hard to you know accept and it's hard to realize that you know you're not being truthful to mm-hmm. yourself or you're bargaining or blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And it, it's hard. And even in the acceptance stage, you sometimes don't even notice the other stages. <laughs> Sorry, everyone who tuned in to hear us make dick and fart jokes <laughs> about, you know, <laughs> ba- Batman and Harley Quinn. But like There's this no episode actually shined a light that. on a real topic. Oh, yeah. There's what? no dick or fart jokes you can yeah. make about Harley Quinn and the yeah. Batman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, but... <laughs> 
but but this episode actually helped a lot of people because one thing that drives me crazy is how many people for Halloween, like how many couples go as Harley Quinn in the <sighs> Oh, it makes me disgusted. Because it's like their relationship is really dangerous. Oh, right? It's like the amount of people who I see who share things online, it's like, he's the Joker to my Harley Quinn, and it's like, what the fuck, girl, get out. <laughs> It's like, do we need to help are you, you? Are you okay? Is this a? Are, are you calling for help? Like, is this a subtle wink, wink, nod, nod? Like, we'll come get you. You know, midnight move. <laughs> Bl- blink once for yes and twice for yes. <laughs> <laughs> Be- because, like, I've always had a problem. So uh, this month, we're also talking about Eternal Sunshine and the Spotless Mind. Oh. We're, we're pretty much going to be talk. We're going to be talking about movies. And TV shows where a lot of people think that that the relationship is healthy because I've seen Clementine and Joel on so many lists of like great great love stories, but when you realize that like their love story is all in his head and like in reality like her character is kind of toxic and vice they're versa. They're toxic together because he's just yeah they're toxic together and they've probably done it a million times that's that's what we're going to be talking about next week it's like uh ryan and marissa in the oc <laughs> yes uh wait marissa was uh misha yeah. Barton, right yeah because i'm like i was like rachel bilson and adam brody were delightful. they were delightful <laughs> uh her name was summer though seth and summer and then yeah. ryan and marissa yeah um the the relationship I uh, think of is Everwood. <laughs> I don't think I ever watched Everwood. Okay, so um, that was Chris Pratt's first TV show, but uh, it was the kid uh, Gregory Smith from Small Soldiers plays the main guy Ephraim, and he's in love with this girl, and her boyfriend is in a coma, and then at the end, uh, spoiler alerts for like a really fifteen year old TV show, her boyfriend goes under a procedure to get his brain fixed. Um, Science! And the, and the main guy's dad is the one doing the surgery. And he the, the kid dies on the table. So the main kid is like, oh, well, your boyfriend's dead. Why don't we start dating? And like their relationship throughout the entire series is so toxic. And guess what? They end up together. Of course they do. It's like, you you know what, it's like I said earlier, uh, it's in almost every TV show because it's like, even if you watch Boy Meets World, uh, Corey and Topanga are super toxic. But the healthiest relationship on that show is, is uh, Eric and Mr. Feeney. They have an awesome relationship. Or, Um, or, or Corey and Sean. (laughs) Uh, Corey, Corey and Sean is slightly got some toxic moments to it because Sean's got some toxicness to him. Yeah, but I, I do love I do love when they they have the episode when they break up and he just goes, "You're a dirty man." <laughs> but but like yeah, Corey and Topanga, even like Urkel and Laura, mm-hmm. are a super toxic relationship because she is obsessed with his clone. Yeah, and he is obsessed with her. Like, or like, I think the healthiest relationship Joey and Dawson in Dawson's Creek. <laughs> Which is weird because Joey and Pacey end up together and they actually have a surprisingly yes, healthy relationship. Yes, because Pacey the entire time is painted as a bad boy with a good heart, whereas Dawson is the good guy, but he's really not a good guy. That That's why I'm 
very glad that the term the nice guy has come to light because like I really I I think it was in 2006 or 2000 whenever super bad came out I think it was 2006 when super bad came out and Joe Latroglio's character goes I'm a nice guy as soon as like I heard people in movies from now on say I'm a nice guy I'm like oh that person's a piece yeah, of shit yeah that guy's a douchebag like, and that's why when Ted Mosby was like cuz like growing up before Ted Mosby like the first two seasons of How I Met Your Mother when he's like not that bad he's bad from the beginning dude the first episode is him stalking Robin oh th- that's true <laughs> <laughs> glass shatter moment i know i i just i just like the actor who plays him (laughs) (laughs) but but like i'm trying to think of like i think the healthiest relationship in film for me the two healthiest relationships in cinema are gomez and yes i was about to say that if you didn't and um nick and nora charles from the thin man I think for me, um, if we were to look at a modern take on a healthy relationship in TV, uh, in particular animation, it's Bob and Linda from Bob's Burgers. Oh, I was actually going to say Bob and Linda Belcher are the healthiest relationship, even to to a weirder extent, because I won't, won't say to a healthier extent. Even Peggy Hill and Hank Hill have a very healthy relationship. It's weird and super them but like yeah they have a very healthy relationship as well you know and like even you know it's tv so bad for this uh it just glorifies these like really unhealthy relationships like even every relationship in modern family like all of the primary couples are super toxic like cam and mitchell like they are super toxic they don't communicate they're brutal uh, and I know, like, we're getting super off topic from the cartoon, but it's like... No, it's fine. I mean, because there there were so many things we could talk about the, this, you know, the, this episode. We could have picked so many things. But, like, honestly, in the world of, of Batman, I think Harley and... Harley and, and Ivy are the healthiest relationship, followed by Dick Grayson and Barbara mm-hmm. Gordon. I think what it comes down to is accepting the person for who they are. So Ivy knows who Harley is and vice versa because they both been in each other's heads. Literally in one episode of, of the Harley Quinn show, they're literally in um, Harley Quinn's head, which is fair because Ivy uh, Harley Quinn, when she was, you know, the therapist uh, Ivy was in her head. So it's it's fair. Mm-hmm. That's a even playing field where Dick Grayson and Barbara Gordon, they know who each other are. That's why they end up, you know, later in life are in New 52. They I think they get married or get engaged. Um, that's why they're perfect together because they know each other's past. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. Have you ever seen uh, the YouTube series Cinema Therapy where therapist analyzes relationships um i've watched a couple episodes here and there but i've i've always i'm not a big youtube person to be honest because the healthiest relationship i would say in the cinematic world would be aragorn and arwen yeah they love each other they help each other grow but they accept them for who they are yeah 
And an argument can be made, well, he's just going to let her leave. And he's like, well, he's trying to do what is right for her. Yeah, if that's good for her, then let her leave. Last month when we were talking, we we did two different types of rom-coms. We did, uh, for the traditional, we did You've Got Mail. And technically, Tom Hanks is the bad guy. Uh (laughs) Um, but, But we picked that for Romance Month and not Toxic Relationship Month because of how... If it was any other actor in the world, that movie would have been in this month. Because it's Tom Hanks, because of like how he is able to redeem the character, it ended up in that month. The other one we talked about, and this is actually a good example of a healthy relationship. Um, have you seen What If with Daniel Radcliffe? No, it's on my list to watch, but I've heard really good things of it. It It's a very healthy relationship. They And it does the progression and like... An argument could be made that, like, they're friends, she's in a relationship, and, you know, he's in love with her, that's not healthy. But they address that, and they actually go through the stages, and it does have a happy ending. So, like, eh, an argument could be made in in the other direction. Arguments can always be made in the other direction. Yeah, exactly. Um, But, you know, there is no argument that could be made to defend the relationship of Harley Quinn and, and the Joker, like, and it drives me through a roof. Every time I go to a comic con, when I was a a film critic and a reporter, when I would have to interview actors and I would just see like, here's my pudding. And I'm like, Oh lady, no. Uh, yeah, I, it's so gross. I, it's one of my things that I honestly hate when I go to comic cons and like, uh, any of those kind of expos and i used to work booths at those um i was the npc who you know check out my wares um (laughs) but it's like you know those couples it's like do you actually read that because i don't think you'd be doing this if you actually read those stories and saw what like the characters were actually like and if if you do actually glorify that then you really need a therapist yeah because i have the graphic novel that Paul Dini, Paul Dini, Paul Dini turned into. Uh, it was Mad Love, and from that episode, he turned it into a graphic novel. And in it, they actually go deeper into her backstory. Harley Quinn's parents were not very supportive. Um, you know, her mom was too hands-on and too like, you need to get aged, you need to do this. And the dad basically is the equivalent of the cliche of, you know, I'm going to go out for a pack of cigarettes. Uh, See you soon. Nope. Never like, came back. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also implied that he worked for Carmen Falcone. Like Carmine, not Carmen. <laughs> Carmen Sandiger. <laughs> he worked for Carmine Falcone. And and he he's a mobster. Like she had, didn't have a healthy, you know, point of reference for a good you know family relationship. and that's also hard too right like you know um me and my partner constantly talk about the fact that it's about breaking the cycle um we both kind of grew up with semi-toxic families uh and it, it's hard you know like those traits can easily show up you know and what you think is the norm is like super unhealthy you know uh there's no such thing as normal. Yeah, the normal is a myth. 
Um, and even yeah. then, what's what you grew up thinking was normal, you'll find out later isn't. Like I used to joke all the time, I'm like, "Yeah, my family is pretty healthy." You know, if we had an argument, my dad would be like, "Get the gloves," and we put on boxing gloves and we'd fight it out. Yeah, that's child abuse. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> Your dad was Brad Pitt from Tree of Life? <laughs> but, like, you know, I, I joke about that. Uh, I joked about that for years. And then it was like, oh, that's not healthy. Huh. Mm. But I always thought it was. <laughs> yeah. So, because growing up, like, <laughs> growing up, I, I came from a very, you know, healthy, loving family. But I would see, I would have friends and I wouldn't understand what they were going through because they would be going through parents getting divorced. And I... I was always on the outside looking in because I didn't know what was going on with yeah, them. Yeah, you don't see what's and, behind closed doors. You know, right. Because the kid who I was watching that episode of Batman with uh, this episode and he freaked out was going through something like yeah. that. So it's like, so I think the reason now I'm having the epiphany, the reason why he probably freaked out as a kid is because he was going through that. And, you know, he's like, I didn't know That's that you know good. cartoon characters could go through it. I this is supposed to be making me happy, and why is Harley Quinn getting pushed out of a window? Mm. And I'm like, here's your Capri Sun. I'm sorry, they only had fruit punch. They didn't have Capri Sun. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll have you. <laughs> yeah, and you know what? I think it's almost great that this this episode exists in the first place um you know we talked about how it kind of got through uh censorship and i think it's almost beneficial to kids to see these kind of relationships in such a negative light because i remember watching this as a kid and as soon as like the joker like flat out slapped harley across the face i'm like oh, yeah you're like that's you hit a girl you, that's wrong hitting in general is wrong you can't yeah Gender yeah. aside, don't hit people. Right. Because, like, I, I remember as a kid seeing, like, actual physical violence in, in Batman cartoons scared me. But, like, cartoon violence in, like, live-action movies, like, in Robin Hood, uh, Men in Tights, when he takes the glove and slaps him, goes, I challenge you to a duel. And then Robin Hood picks up the metal glove and slaps him across the face. That's funny. Yeah. Where then seeing, uh, you know, cartoon psychologists get beaten within an inch of her life where she, she is, Harley is literally thrown, what, seven stories and lands in a dumpster? Mm -hmm. She would be dead. In reality, yeah. I mean, the Joker would be dead too when he gets, you know, when Batman punches him into a, a, you know, a smokestack. <laughs> Well, let's face it. A lot of these people should be dead. They're cartoons. It, yeah. they're, they survive things they shouldn't be able to. It's like yeah. anytime I watch movies and I watch someone take a punch and then they like immediately are okay. I'm like, have no, has that person ever actually been punched in the face? Because it, it's not, you don't recover from that as fast as you think you do. Yeah, because um, I think I briefly talked about this on the podcast. I used to do a form of uh, sparring kickboxing when I did martial arts and like one time I literally was punched in the face so hard that my entire face was ringing and I couldn't hear anything. And my, my, uh, sensei and trainer was like, Scott, are you okay? And all I heard was, mm, 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 mm. 
I'm like, what? <laughs> oh yeah, I used to box. Um, like my nose yeah. has been broken, my eye sockets are all fractured. Yep, mine too. Oh, you can do the thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, oh, yeah. Um, my eye sockets have microfracturing through them, uh, just because I used to. Yeah. Uh, I have a, um, I have a nerve problem where I don't actually feel pain, uh, it, in the same rate that people do. But it's like I still know that when you get hit in the head, your brain rattles around, and like I may not be able to feel pain, but you're disorientated instantly. Cartoons do not show yeah. that. You take one hit to the head, and you're like, and they're like, "Yeah, let's keep going." And it's like, no, no, <laughs> that's not how that works. Because like, Batman violence, just like all of the stuff that in this episode that I realized, like, it doesn't make sense. One thing that really doesn't make sense is that the Joker is so strong that he can punch out Batman, mm-hmm. like. Because, like, the Joker, basically, if I had to cast the Joker in the 90s, I would have casted, like, David Byrne, like, from from Talking Heads. Like, because that's, like, the physique I think of when I think of the Joker. <laughs> scrawny. Yeah, I think of Scrawny and almost, like, you know, Christian Bale and the Machinist, not Christian Bale as Batman. Yeah. <laughs> like, where, you know, in this one the Joker is knocking out Batman and punching him in the face. And he's so strong that he, he can lift and throw Batman hits heart. Yeah. And he hits Harley and she goes flying out a window. Like, yeah, I don't think of the Joker being that strong. I honestly think of the Joker in a toxic relationship situation of having short man syndrome. Mm -hmm. Like he's overcompensating. He's very weak. um, And he's, trying to overcompensate for that i don't picture this like brooding guy that they always depict him as yeah i also view him as like so. that guy who hasn't slept in months and probably doesn't eat regularly and is like super skinny and frail and just is dealing with like manic episodes you know like if right. you've ever dealt with someone who's dealing with a manic episode more often than not they haven't eaten or slept in days and like if they have eaten anything right. it's like coffee <laughs> yeah Almost like, you know, um, oh, Ellen Burstyn's character in um, Requiem for a Dream. I haven't watched that, and I keep being told by everyone, you only need to watch it once. <laughs> yeah, you only need to watch it once because it sticks with you. Basically, she feels like she's overweight, and she goes on uh, uppers to lose weight, and all she does is drink coffee. Yeah. And a wedge of a grapefruit. Yeah. Uh, I've been through some manic episodes. Like that's a thing. Uh, I used to survive on coffee and cigarettes and like two slices of pizza a day. That was it. Oh, jeez. Like, but with with this episode, I I just feel like it's healthy for children to mm-hmm. see this. Like, honestly, I would be impressed if schools to teach about relationships because schools do teach about relationships now. They do to try and get the point across there are healthy relationships and there are bad relationships. Um, I would really appreciate if they would show children this. I mean, because I know that some schools were showing, like, you want an example of a great love story? The Princess Bride. And, like, there are moments with The Princess Bride where there are, like, not okay things. The healthiest relationship is uh, Fezzik and... uh, Inigo. Oh, I love those two. Yeah. 
Greatest love story. We're gonna love the baby. <laughs> but yeah, so how many bagels do you give this episode? Out of 13, a baker's dozen. <sighs> That's hard. You know, I do want to give it a high score um, because it, it does touch on such a, a hard topic in such a good way. Um, that it's like, it's mind blowing and the animation, the voice acting, it's solid. I'd say probably out of 13, I'd give it a good, like 11 or 12. Like it's, it's, yeah, it's I'm way up there. Uh, um, execution like yeah. straight through is just solid. Yeah. So for anyone who is listening to this episode and they're caught in a, you know, situation that they should not be in, if you need to get help, there's the National Domestic uh, Violence or Domestic Abuse Hotline, and you can always call that 24 hours a day at 1-800-799-SAFE. 7233 is what that translates to. That's 800-799-7233. And we'll be, uh, all month long, be pointing people in that direction. Um, because that's why we do this this month. We, we're talking about like really bad relationships where we talked about, you know, fun rom-com relationships last month and this one is another example it's just bad it's iconic but sometimes icons are not great truth i'm looking at you shia labeouf <laughs> what actual cannibal shia labeouf i th- i thought army hammer was the can- cannibal have, have you not seen that actual cannibal shia labeouf oh yeah. the song I, I just know they got canceled at, at the same time. <laughs> so. uh. But yeah. Yeah. But yeah. So, Tony, do you want to promote it? Oh, yeah. Let's, let's, actually, yeah. Come. Uh, I, I have a podcast. It's called Flix X Raid. You can find us on any of the podcasting apps uh, or on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram at Flix X Raid. F L I C K S X R A Y E D. I spell it because apparently when I say it, it sounds like something else. Uh, <laughs> I've been told that. Uh, but anyway, so come check us out. We do a lot of movie reviews. Uh, we also do a scavenger hunt every year, which is a lot of fun, uh, where we have to find specific movies and watch them that fit certain categories. Um, we have a new episode, one of those episodes that will be dropping um, hopefully soon. I don't know when this is going to air, so I'm just going to say soon. <laughs> Um, I've been on it. It's a fun podcast. You should check it out. Um, you can check out my other podcast, Hell is a Musical, on the Zero Science Network, and follow this very fine program on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and uh, you can email us at writersbagelbasket at gmail.com. Tony, thanks so much. Thanks for, for having me. Again. This has been fun and dark and heavy. All right. <laughs> this has been a great therapy <laughs> session. I'll bill you in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> so until next time I'm Scott Curlin bye <laughs>